Amen. I guess we should say either happy birthday or happy anniversary, whichever way you want to look at it today, is, as uh, this is our anniversary. We, we are originally a, a church plant some eight years ago, and so I know if your church has been here a hundred years, you have a homecoming where you invite people that went to your church 20, 30 years ago to come back, but we didn't exist then. And uh, so this is our, our birthday, and we would say happy birthday and how would we start today? Uh, sometimes we need to go back to the foundation and to the fundamentals, and that's what we're going to do today. Um, if you're watching online, our guess is our pattern to work through books of the Bible. We just got through with Joshua. Uh, next week, we're going to go back to the Psalms. We're going to pick up where we left off a good while back with Psalms 52. And so if you want to study ahead with us, that's where we'll be engaging next week. But I would invite you to take your copy of God's Word now. And turn with us to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 to 4, really 1 to 3 primarily. Um, there is, when it comes to the books of the Bible that a pastor just can't wait to preach from, um, it would be for me Romans and Ephesians and Hebrews. It's just rich. I, I love theology and doctrine. It's just, I know it's weird, but that's just me. And there's a lot in these first few verses about what we believe. If you want to protect yourself from heresy, give yourself to understand what we're talking today. I may say some things that you don't understand today. Don't be frustrated by that. Be challenged by that. Your preacher is supposed to preach, but he's also supposed to stretch you. And I hope that we're all stretched a little bit today. And, and so let's stand to our feet in reverence of God's Word. If any time we need to be reminded when God's Word speaks, God speaks, it is this passage today. We're looking at the supremacy of Jesus Christ out of Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1. We read this. Long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray again. So, Lord, we come to you just right where we are today. Whether we're tired or are feeling good or <laughs> whether we need a vacation or a nap or, or whatever it is, Lord, we have gathered ourselves with the redeemed to be reminded of things that we know but we must never forget. For you to orient us toward that which is our only hope. And so God, speak to us today. This on our anniversary. We are here eight years only because of your grace. And we will be here another eight years only by that same grace. And so God, we ask you, to fill us with your spirit today. Give us what we need 
to persevere in this life that you have given us, for we only have one, and we dare not waste it today. So let us spend this time making much of your Son, exalting your name, for you are our Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so, we know this, we're all Americans here, and we like options. We sometimes go to the Cheesecake Factory if we have a gift card. And uh, if you, you ever been to the Cheesecake Factory, you ever looked at the menu, it's like a book. It's, it's, it's like this thick. It's, it's somewhat overwhelming, but you really do like it. You can just flip and flip and flip and flip and flip. Anything you can imagine and everything is in there. It's like an encyclopedia. We like that. We can order a pizza with red sauce, white sauce, or barbecue sauce, right? And any topping, right, brother? Anything you want. We can put it on. We can leave it off. There's things that nobody wants to eat, but some people like to eat. They'll put it on there. We used to do mission work in Romania, and we went in the grocery store, and there were like two boxes, two types of cereal. And we come home. I Googled it because it's nice to know useless information. There is a little less than 5,000 different types of cereal. We like that. And what kind of guy or what kind of gal do you prefer? I'm a preacher. I've had an awful lot of conversations with people who are looking for a church. And here's what we oftentimes feel like. We feel like we're being interviewed for someone who is buying a car. They want to make sure you got the options. Nobody tells them that in five years that sunroof's not going to work. But you feel that way. We like options. It bleeds into our understanding of God. We choose a religion, a belief that matches how our, what fits my life. What fits the lifestyle that I prefer. I I don't want anything to challenge it nor change it. So I find a belief system that matches it. And there's plenty out there. Just choose one. Matter of fact, you don't even have to choose one. You can choose two or three and just sort of blend them together. In the midst of all this, I have to be clear today. Orthodox Christianity stands out saying that there is a such thing as absolute truth. And absolute truth doesn't care about what you prefer because it is. And there's only one way to peace with God. And so Orthodox Christianity doesn't give somebody a list of actions to work your way to God, but says God has provided a person in whom you must trust. It stands alone. So the most important question on our eighth birthday, fourth as Battleground Community Church, is the same important question it was when we planted Who is this Jesus? What did he do? And what am I doing with him right now? How am I responding before we all are? Here's the main idea. It's a clear, we can't know God. You can't know God unless he reveals himself. And God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So who is Jesus? It's a foundational question. Who is Jesus? This text hinges on. On this, Jesus is the God who speaks. 
Look at verse 1 and 2. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, verse 2, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Everything hangs on God spoke. Everything hangs. There is, and you, you need to see this. We're going to Psalms. This will be important. In the Psalms, there's a cadence to it. There, there's a poetry, even a musical tendency. There is in this passage too. God spoke is the primary. God spoke, look at the passage. He spoke through the prophets to the fathers. And when did he do it? Long ago. The Jewish perspective, and it's my perspective too when it comes to the end times, is there is an age that is and there is an age to come. That's what we see here. That's the way he's got this couched. Long ago is contrasted by these last days. He said, long ago God spoke through the prophets. The prophets being Hosea, Ezekiel, Malachi, Isaiah, Jeremiah, these guys that spoke to God's wandering people. It says he spoke to the fathers. So our forefathers. So the Old Testament is the, the historical record of how God revealed himself to our forefathers. But notice it also says that he spoke at many times and in many ways. In other words, he revealed a, a little here, a little there, and it wasn't always the same. Sometimes he spoke in visions and angels and through events and through people, his prophets, and his chosen leaders. There's a, that plurality is important here. What it shows is an incompleteness. An incompleteness in God's communication. There was more to come. There is continuity, continuation and a completeness from the old to the new. There's nowhere seen this more than in the priesthood. Remember the law reveals God's standard of how we should live before God. It reveals that we can't live holy before God. And so God introduced a sacrificial system. There was a priesthood. There was a priest. We needed a mediator. There was a problem with that, wasn't there? What was the problem with our... Aaron and his boys and the people and the Levites. They were sinners who had to offer a sacrifice for themselves. There was a worse problem than that. They died. And so your advocate, your, your mediator, one day we found out, uh-oh, he's dead. Had to get another one. Look at, listen to Hebrews 7, verse 23. It says this, The former priest were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Verse 24. But he, Jesus, holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. That's good there. This is, this is why I love Hebrews. It's all about how much better Jesus is. You see, in the past age, God revealed himself through prophets in all kinds of ways. But now, look at the text. But now, the new is now fulfilling the old. God has spoken again. And who has he spoken to? Well, look at the text. To us. To us. So here's the cadence. 
God has spoken to us through his son. This is how he has revealed himself. To us, think about who is us. Do you know who you are in redemptive history? You're the Gentiles. That's who we are, most of us. We're the ones who would be going to hell and don't even know it, save God has spoken. Listen to this. There's so many about the gospel has expanded in the new to the nations. I just picked one. Luke 24, verse 46 says this. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. God has spoken to us. But he's spoken to us in a particular way. He's spoken to us through his son. Then the New Testament is the historical record of God's perfect word who came to us and spoke. The New Testament records for us the completion, the perfection of God's plan to redeem all things in Christ, beginning with you and me. How did you hear from the Son? Through His Word. That's how you heard about it. Through somebody proclaiming it. That's where we're headed. But look with me at Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to come back to this at the end. Verse 1. It says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, in other words, the old was good and purposeful and accomplished exactly what God intended it to accomplish, but we have received the new, the word from the Son. Verse 3, How shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, it was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. God has spoken through His Son, and we heard it. This is the privilege of preaching and of hearing, of teaching someone, of making disciples, and having someone receive it. I am just not sitting up here spouting off my opinion. I am here so that you can hear God's word. The early church simply opened up the letters oftentimes and read them. And they had no other ministries. And somehow God's word was enough. All by itself. We have much to return to. And much still reforming to do. When God's word speaks... God is speaking. Christ has come. We are at the end of the age. When Christ stepped into time and space, we entered into the last days and we are in them to this day. In the age of options, we need to be able to speak clearly about this Jesus. So let's speak clearly today. Jesus is God the Son. He is God the Son. Look again at verse 2. At the end, says, but in verse 2, in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 
So Jesus is God, the Son, who first, look at it, who created. Jesus did. This is what Colossians 1.16 says, doesn't it? For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is the centerpiece of redemptive history. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. This is Jesus. He's God. He is the Creator. He was the one who spoke, let there be. And He is the one who spoke, let there be life into your life. Because if he would not, you would not be saved. The triune God working from the very beginning. The Father willing and the Word speaking and the Holy Spirit administering just like he does in salvation. And just like he does in every event and issues in our life. He is the creator. He is also, look at the end of verse 3. He is the sustainer. He upholds the universe. How? By his Word. By speaking. The word of his power. Colossians 1.17 said, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He, as it were, is the divine glue holding it together, whether it's you. If not, brothers and sisters, we would all fall into a puddle, and there would be no way to tell us di- difference from each other. He holds us together. He holds creation together. But I want you to learn something and see something today in verse 2. It says... That God appointed him to be the heir of all things. There is here something we need to learn about sonship. Sonship. There are two aspects to sonship. This is the heir. This is the inheritance for him. But we got to understand the distinction. There is divine sonship and there is messianic sonship. And they are distinct, but they are connected. This, this is why this is important. If you don't understand the divine sonship, you will fall into heresy. Jesus did not start being the son. He is the divine son. He has been the son from all eternity. It was him and the father and the spirit who who did not start. God is not some kind of created angel. He is not working to be God so you can work to be God. Jesus is God and He is God the Son and He has been. And for the foundation of the world, the triune God made a covenant to redeem a people. And in time and space, He stepped into that plan. The divine sonship laid down the honor and the glory of this divine sonship to take on a lesser nature, that of man. He is the divine Son. And at his ascension, he took up his glory and his honor back up. And he will never put it back down. But that brings up something. There's a messianic sonship. That's what this is wanting you to think about. There was a time when Jesus stepped into his messianic role. This plan that was made before the foundation of the world entered into time and space. And God became man. And after he lived and died and rose again, he inherited a name that is above every name. He is both the divine son. He is the messianic son. 
fulfilling Psalms 2-7 that says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. The name was the reward of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It was the proof the Father saying, He is my Son, and He has accomplished everything that I sent Him to do. Jesus is the one, this is the point of Hebrews, that, that became the better prophet, the better priest, the better king. Listen, so that we might receive sonship. This is why Jesus is not afraid to call you brother. And you, sister, he was the divine son, but he came the messianic son so that he could bring in many sons to glory. Who is Jesus? He is the one who has spoken to us. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. And he is our brother. Jesus is the God of glory. Look at verse 3. It's just rich. You could just feel the author struggle to put in this in the words. He says, He is the radiance. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the better. Through the incarnation, the glory of God has been revealed to us. Radiant, something that radiates is reflecting something. If you have a radiating heater, what it's doing is it's reflecting that heat. It's what Jesus has come. He's, he's reflecting the glory of God. He reflected in his life. Listen to John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus is God. Because he is one with and equal to the Father. Because they have the very same essence, the same nature, the same being. They are not pieces of pie. They are not distant related. They are one. They don't have to have a corporate meeting to decide what to do. Matter of fact, 4th century creed, the Nicene creed says this, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Of all things visible and invisible, I believe in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before our ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, co-substantial with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, He came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. He is the glory of God. He is God. We saw Him. We see Him revealed through His Word. No one loved like Him. No one healed like Him. No one preached like Him. No one taught like Him. No one obeyed like Him. No one ever thought like Him. No one sacrificed like Him. And no one has ever been resurrected like Him. He stands alone. He is the glory of God that has been revealed to us. He is not an attribute to learn. He is a person to follow. He is the glory of God. And so, let us look at Hebrews 9 and let us bridge the gap between the question of who is Jesus and what did he do. There is a, a pastor, if we would call him that, that preaches in Atlanta that says we should 
unhitch our Old Testament from our New Testament. I say to you today that you might as well rip Hebrews out of the Bible. Because if you do not hitch these things that God has hitched, you cannot know Jesus. You can only know who Jesus is. You can only taste of His glory when you know your Old Testament. And you will feel it this morning when we read this passage if you don't know your Old Testament because you won't experience and taste the richness that God means for you to understand because the author assumes you understand your Old Testament. Remember, there was a tabernacle. And inside that tabernacle, there was the Holy of Holies, In the very presence of God. In this tabernacle was where God's people had to come in order to approach God. And they could not approach Him directly. The priest had to. And the priest could only enter directly in the presence of God once a year. It is this place that he refers to in Hebrews 9 and verse 23. He said the tabernacle and all this point somewhere. Listen to what he says. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, there were types, they pointed to things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animal. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. Listen to what Jesus did. Jesus did something. He entered into heaven itself to appeal now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter into heaven to offer himself again and again like the the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of animals. If that had been necessary, Christ would have to die Again and again, ever since the world began. But now, there it is, the age we're in, brothers and sisters, Hebrews 1. But now, once for all time, He has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by His own death as a sacrifice. And listen, this is true, verse 27, just as each person is destined to die. Once after that comes the judgment. So also Christ offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will not come again to deal with our sin, but to bring salvation to all who eagerly wait for Him. You grab that? Jesus is not simply God the Son. Jesus stepped in as God the Son and He did something and He did not die for possibilities, brothers and sisters. He died for people. He he died for Paul and Stephen and Logan and Justin. He died for people. He had people. He didn't have a possibility in his mind. He stepped into heaven itself on your behalf. What did Jesus do? And even better, what is he doing? Is Jesus just, now the cross is done, is Jesus just up in heaven taking a nap until the Father says, hey, it's time for what's next? No. Here's what he did. He made purification for sin. See that in the end of verse 3. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand. So there's a couple things I want us to see about what he's 
what he did and what he's doing. First, he made purification for sin. This is the text turning point in this section. He's, he's doing something. This is, this is, he's depending that you understand the priesthood. He's depending that you understand all of the sacrificial system and all that would have to be done and all the blood and all the innocent animals that had to be done year after year after year after year. He said Jesus is the better priest because he did not have to offer a sacrifice for himself first because Jesus lived a perfect life and obeyed the law. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice who stood in our place on our behalf and absorbed the very wrath of God. And he did it to pay our debt. So listen, you might be sitting here this morning saying, priesthood and sacrifices and animals and blood. I don't get that. Understand this this morning. Sin creates a debt and someone has to pay for it. And if you don't believe it, you go out there and break the law. And the law will teach you this absolute truth. That sin creates a debt and someone's got to pay. And listen, it's the truth of God's word. Someone will pay. Sin creates a debt. Hebrews 10 verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And it was written in the scroll of the book. And down in verse 9, he says, Behold, God, again, I come to do your will. Verse 10 says, And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He came to remove our debt. Because we could not remove it. But that's not all he did. I want you to see this. This may be victory for some of us this morning. He came to cleanse your conscience. Turn with me to Hebrews 9 verse 14. You need to listen to this. This is important. Hebrews 9 verse 14. says, How much more Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We don't have to work ourselves to God. Before salvation, and I don't have to keep working to God so he's going to be happy with me tomorrow. Your conscience, you see, is that which tells you this is right and this is wrong. Your conscience is what tells you run to that and run from that. But here's what happens over life and sin. Our conscience becomes hard. It becomes shame and guilt-ridden by sin done by us and sin done to us. Jesus died. You listened to me this morning. He died to cleanse your conscience. He died to remove the shame and guilt from the sin done by you and the sin done to you so that you can use all of you to serve Him and to worship Him. And listen, when I come up to you and I ask you to do something, and you say, Preacher, you don't know what I did 20 years ago. What you're saying is the blood of Jesus Christ is not enough. 
It's not enough to remove the shame and guilt of that which I've done 20 years ago. Jesus already took care of that. And listen, your sin of keep bringing your own shame and guilt up to yourself is a greater sin than the sin you just you did 20 years ago. The greatest sin that we are committing today is not to apply that which God has already purchased. He's already removed your sin. And He's already removed the shame and guilt. Somebody stood up this morning and said, I knew you when you were 17, and I remember what you did that night. I would say, you're absolutely right. But God has forgiven me. And now my worst day has become a picture of God's grace. And no one can shake it in my face and say you're not worthy because I'm just going to say you're absolutely right. But God. But now God has redeemed me. And listen, He is not done. He is not taking a glorified nap. He lives to make intercession for us. Verse 3, after making purifications, He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty. Oh, we don't talk about this enough. We make it to the resurrection and then we go to Acts and go to Pentecost. Jesus ascended. This was his enthronement. This is when he took back up the glory and honor and power that he laid down for us. He picked it back up. Can you imagine that day when this glorified Jesus in his glorified human body walks up as it were to the gates of heaven. Psalms 27 actually tells us about it. I love to preach this message. It's called the Ascension Hymn. It gets this picture of a gate, of walls, and of Jesus ascending. It says this. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. You can almost hear somebody saying, Who is the King of glory? And he said, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory could come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And then we see a picture of the King of glory. God, man, ascending the throne of God and sitting down. Why did he sit down? Because he's finished. Redemption is accomplished. Jesus can do no more for you than he has already done. For he, God gave his son for you. Hebrews 10, 12 said, But when Christ had offered for all times a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 13, Waiting for the time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. In other words, he's not always going to keep sitting down. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. In other words, he is at the place of honor and power and authority. And what is he doing? He's interceding for you. For you. I want you to see this. This is not just in one place in the Bible. If you've got Hebrews already there, flip over to Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to do what? 
to make intercession for them. Now flip with me to Romans chapter 8. We know uh, the beautiful chapter of Romans 8. Let's just begin at verse 31 because it's too good not to start there. It says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I don't know about you this week, but that's good news to me. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I am writing these, t- these things to you so that you don't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Intercession. To make, intercession means this, to make a formal request, to make an earnest request, the intercessor being in a place of authority. In other words, it's important to have a place of authority if you are going to intercede. Mm. I, boy, this would be a good one for intercessory prayer, wouldn't it? If you don't know who you are, your prayers aren't worth much. You've got to know who you are because we intercede. Here's the point. Jesus is interceding. He has, listen, the ear of the Father and us on His mind. He intercedes for us. The theological term for this, and it's an important one, it's one we don't talk about enough, is Jesus is in session right now. He has ascended, and He is doing something at the right hand. He is not passive He is not inactive. He is not sleeping. He is doing something. 1 Peter 3.22 said, Jesus has gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to Him. This right hand, this throne, is not supposed to be taken literally. It means Jesus is in the place of absolute authority. He is in the place of honor. He is in the place of power. Listen to this. What is Jesus doing? I couldn't find anybody that said it better than Louis Burkhoff. Quote, During his session at God's right hand, Christ rules and protects his church, governs the universe in its behalf, and intercedes for his people on the basis of his completed sacrifice. That's what he's doing. And he's doing it right now. And he's not going to stop until the Father says, it's time. And what is, Jesus is going to stand up. And when Jesus stands up, the whole universe will know it. What are we going to do with this? It's a good question. As we celebrate eight years in Kings Mountain and four years as a church, here's what I challenge you to think about. 
We started our four years. Tommy, I, I, I thought about you when I was talking this morning. We, we'd get up every morning at what, 6, 6.15, 6.30, pull that old trailer up with all our stuff in it, back it up to the door of the joy and unload it, load it, unload it, load it. While Mama was at home getting the kids ready by herself because we was up here getting the church ready, taught us something, didn't it? God, by His grace, give us this place for less than what we were spending over there at no cost to us. He let us become Battleground Community Church. Here's what I want to ask you. What do you want the next four years to look like? It's a good question not only to ask personally, but to ask corporately. I just want us to think about three things, two things we must never do, and one thing we must give ourselves to. We must not first ignore him. That's what Hebrews 2 what was there a minute ago saying. He, he, opened, he expands a little bit at verse 4. But here's the warning again. Do not ignore what Jesus says. It says, therefore, Hebrews 2, 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Why? Because we can drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression and disobedient received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So here's some more things not to ignore, isn't it? Don't ignore what God has done. I don't know what else He can do. He can't do anything else. He's already given you His life. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore the gospel this morning. You have heard it. And you cannot unhear it. Don't ignore. Listen, believers, what God has given you. You only have what you have because Jesus the Son of God distributed it to you according to the Father's will for you. You don't have what you don't have. And you have what you have because God the Father wanted you to have it or not have it. So use it for His glory. Don't ignore Him. Don't ignore what He's done. Don't ignore His gifts. And listen, this is a big one for me. This is a big one for our pastor if we're going to move forward. This is what we must never do. We must not hoard Him. This is a tendency in small towns, by the way. Us four and no more. We got our group. We're just fine. Thank you. Besides, I'm growing in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? No. It's not the Great Commission. Make sure that I grow and I only grow in Jesus Christ. No, no that's not it. That's the starting point. It's not sufficient for your family to grow. It's not even enough for this church to grow. He has placed us here sovereignly. And we're trying to push back the darkness because God has given a promise that we can. John 20, 21 says this, As the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. Just like the Father sent me, I am sending you in the same way.
We are a sent people. We are a gathering people. Jesus came and incarnated his life into 12 jacked up dudes. And he taught them to follow him. And then he deployed them to the lost and the broken. And that's our job. It's not just my job. It's our job. If we're going to see kingdom growth in the next four years, we're going to have to not ignore what he's told us to do. We're not going to have to have this internal idea that we don't desire to go out and gather in the broken and the hurting to ourselves. For that's what God called us to do because that's what he did. But more importantly than anything, we must prioritize our proclamation. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2.9. That's where we're going to end today. We need to proclaim him. But I want you to notice something about this text. Your proclamation, or listen, your lack of proclamation, bubbles out of your identity in Jesus Christ. This is not my opinion. I want you to see it. If you are struggling right now, if you can't remember the last time you shared the gospel with anybody, the remedy of that is the diagnosis for that is not your personality. The diagnosis for that is you have forgotten who you are. Because that's all you need is to feed that thing. To feed who you are in Jesus Christ. And here's what he's going to say. What bubbles up this proclamation? Listen. Test me if, I, if what I say is true. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race. But you are a royal priesthood. But you are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We must remember we were once not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Believers, can I remind you today, based off the authority of God's word, that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. That you're a kingdom of priests. In other words, you have direct access to God. When you pray for me, or when you pray for anyone, you have direct access to the Father. You don't need no priest. You're a kingdom of priests because of the blood of God, of Jesus Christ. You are holy. You are covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ until He brings you safely home. You are precious to God. You're precious to Him. You exist to proclaim these perfections of God to the people who stand in front of you because ministry is not a vocation. Ministry is the person who's standing in front of you. And He has called you. He has chosen you. And He has given you everything you need to help that person in front of you follow Jesus Christ. That's the great commission. And it is the mandate for us all. I think it was a year ago or maybe the year before, this was our message, the great commission and the great commandment. The great commission is our mandate. It's simple. Go help people follow Jesus. It's the reason you have the job you have. It's the reason you have the children you have and the Family you have. Help them follow Jesus. Your, their response is not your responsibility. The great commandment is to love God with all you got. 
and to love the neighbor just like you love yourself. We love them by helping them follow Jesus. We love them in truth. It's couched in love. Listen, this is the promise in John 1.4. This is the light that invades the darkness. And the darkness does not have the ability to extinguish the church of Jesus Christ. We will grow and we will expand. The question is whether Battleground Community Church will be a part of it. I'd say, brothers and sisters, God has brought us through an awful lot. And he will bring us through an awful lot. So that we may exalt our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we have come here at our anniversary. We are only here. Because you have made and you have called and you have sustained us both individually and collectively. Lord, as I ponder over the last eight years, and I invite if you've been here for any length of time, you can remember an awful lot of people God has given us the privilege of investing in their life. And God, today, we are so grateful for that. None of us deserve it. None of us deserve to be saved today. None of us deserve for the gifts and calling you've given us. But Lord, we are just here today to say thank you. To think about your goodness and your grace. To come here as we come to the tables to remember that all that we are and all that we have and all that we hope to be and have in the future is all centered around your Son, Jesus Christ. Because we don't want anything if we don't have Him. And so, Lord, we long today for those that we love and for those that are hearing me to repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ today. There is nothing more important to the children in the room than to gather more children into the family of God. And so God, today, would you receive our worship as we declare your goodness, as we resolve together to exalt you afresh and anew with this one life that we have. Receive our worship. Receive our offerings today as we stand, as we sing, as we give, and as we enjoy each other. In Jesus' name, amen.